This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the family with Mask Hack Hackmaster, Raptor Basham MD. Co-host Catherine Brandt. And Andy Bernard. Mashashkash. Mashashkash. Perfect health. I liked it. Perfect health. <laughs> Joe Biden moment. <laughs> we will be right back, kick things off, a couple of special guests coming up, some stories. We got all kinds of stuff. Right back with the family. Tom here for my friends at Walzer Automotive Group with some exciting news. Walzer is rolling out Walzer Care on new and most used cars they sell in Minnesota. Well, Walzer Care is a powertrain warranty with coverage for 10 years or 150,000 miles. Powertrain coverage is like major medical coverage for your car. Engines, transmissions, all the really expensive stuff is covered. In addition, Walzer Care includes 24-hour roadside assistance. Lock your keys in your car, run out of gas, have a flat tire. Guess what? Walzer has your back. The best thing about Walzer Care, it's free with purchase. That's right, I said free. So, if you're shopping for a new or used Subaru, Honda, Nissan, Mazda, Toyota, Buick, GMC, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, Hyundai, or Chevrolet, see my friends at Walzer and get Walzer Care for free. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. So what's the latest? The well, latest is we're representing people who are injured through no fault of their own. Uh, people come to us. We talk to them about what their rights are. We talk to them about things that, you know, adjusters would call them up and ask them about. And we represent people in order to get them justice for the injured. And have been for a long time. Very, very successful. No question. I, I, you know, I do meet a lot of your clients. They come up to me on the street and whatever, and they talk about this, that, or the other thing. And they both say... Why do you guys hang out with Doug Sprinthal? <laughs> and I just had no answer. For <laughs> he just looks away, you big baby. In any case, that's the whole deal. So people, they got any problem whatsoever, personal injury or other legal problems, whatever, they just reach out to Brad, Sean, Bryant. Yeah, Joe and I have both been president of the trial lawyers for the state. So we talk to people about all sorts of issues. The consultation is always free, and that's what we do. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean, Bryant. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Ralph, have you heard of the Babylon Bee? It's a website, oh, which is very funny. The Babylon very, Bee? Yeah, it's a satirical, although it seems like it's actually... Sometimes sometimes, sometimes yeah. I'm like, I think they're actually reporting the truth here. So a bit like The Onion? <laughs> yes. yes, very yeah, much Very so. much like The Onion. Uh, first headline today, Babylon <laughs> Bee. Men demand end to lockdown before wives start any more home improvement projects. <laughs> yeah. That's literally all we've been doing is uh, home improvement. Oh, I think you and a lot of people. Yeah, there was one the other day about uh, celebrities spell out, we're all in this together with their yachts. With their yachts. And there's a picture of their yacht spelling it out, by the way. And by the way, it's so big, it's about the size of Florida. Yeah. <laughs> 
It is true. <laughs> it's so funny. I know Oprah Winfrey's getting a lot of flack on she Twitter should. because they're she's doing some sort of fundraising thing for COVID nineteen. It's like you have a billion dollars. Why don't you three billion or three billion dollars? Why don't you just instead of asking people that are out of work and right. make maybe ninety thousand or fifty thousand or to kick in anything? Why don't you give all your yeah, money and just real. shut never done that. up? She's never you got done your that. hundreds of millions of dollars. She always she... raises other people's money and then gives that away. Yeah. Well, and if a billionaire yeah. gives it, okay, so if a billionaire gives a million dollars away. What is that equal to somebody that makes a hundred thousand dollars a year? One hundred dollars. One hundred dollars, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Come on, a I million know, dollars agree. is nothing to these I people. I agree. You're absolutely I mean, right. They, they, she could drop a billion. It only reduce her. She won't change her lifestyle. No, no not at all. She no. can't possibly all. spend all the money she has. So you know, but be careful. That's the argument that you get from uh, the paranoid left. That says, oh, you're never going to be able to spend all that money. We should take some of that money. Yes, that's exactly right. Well, yeah, but they, they think that you should be, you know, anybody that makes over $60,000 yeah, should where be you draw giving the line. A, yeah, that's and, the problem. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you want to just act like you're, you care about people, you just give the money and you don't make a big deal about it, right? You just yes. give it and you, shut and up. Don't, you don't, don't, need, you don't need a tele, t- television camera on you while, while you do it. Yeah. yeah. And she should quietly call all the rich people she knows mm-hmm. and can influence and say, "Here, here, I'm dropping, I'm dropping 500 million into this pot. How about you? You cough up 10. Exactly. How about 10? Come on. How about yeah, three? You, you can go. do 10. You can, yep. you can do 10. There's a lot. She knows a lot Absolutely. of people who are wealthy that are influential in Chicago and elsewhere. Yeah. There's so many billionaires. There's so many oligarchs now in the United States of America that they could they could easily solve the homeless problem by building building facilities for them. Running it and taking the tax but, deductions. But they could solve so many things it's with a, all of their money. It's not a money problem. It's a social problem. Yep. Because to do once you do that, then you're obliged to say, you have to live here. Mm-hmm. You are no longer homeless. And people don't want to have that loss of freedom. Yep. Because homelessness is the absolute expression of freedom in America. Well, then stay homeless. Why are we worried I about agree, that's but, what but you there want. Are, Let them do it. But the people that are, you know, come a on hard times, yeah, I know. they if they could move into a there, facility, they would. So I'm not saying all home. You can't solve all homelessness. No, but you f- could solve maybe some of it. No, I say there's very few people who fall on hard times that don't have uh, some sort of a safety net. Right. Some sort of a safety net. They have not burned their bridges with all of their family. They have no family, or they're just completely lost. That I think is a flawed argument. Yeah, I think most of the people who are homeless have serious psychiatric problems, and I'm including all the chemical dependency as a psychiatric mm-hmm. problem. Well, it is a psychiatric. Yeah, problem. well, and yeah, a, a lot of a lot and, of and a lot of addicts have burned through everybody. There you go. There's and that's no the point, one well, that's left that's going to help them. So these people are not people who've just lost their jobs. <clears throat> They're not one paycheck away. No, these people have just burnt their bridges. Right, sad. I agree, yep. but there, there, you know, there are some people that have just. You know, lost. I don't know what's going to happen with fifteen percent unemployment and maybe going up to twenty. Yeah, it's going to oh, be I, tough. It's transient. This I is don't a transient know. thing. No, no. This I hope so. This I is think all scary. They're going to have to get off this political thing sooner or later. Uh, yep. They're destroying the world for Christ's sake. 
This is good news, though. Also from the Babylon Bee, Monopoly <laughs> suspends rent on all properties and bumps, bumps up passing go to 1200 bucks. So that's good to know. Like there are, there are hotels on Boardwalk and Park Place, and it just says free. That's all it says. It just says free on there. Uh, I like right. it. So, you know, we got that taken care of. And jail. There's probably just and, no jail. Well, in some cities, there is none. They're not prosecuting for that's minor true. crimes. Right. Uh, also from the Babylon Bee, Nancy Pelosi and Democrats warn we shouldn't reopen the country until we can be safe from Trump getting credit for a good economy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they are going after, they go after everybody oh, in this thing. they're so funny. Uh, and this uh, latest one, this is one they have to appear on the news. Latest computer model predicts between 0 and 12.6 billion new COVID-19 deaths by summer. <laughs> between 0 and 12.6 billion. So, you know. Uh, it is true with some of these ranges. Oh, it's ridiculous. I know. That's what I mean. That's so, why. It's it, like 80 to 800,000. That doesn't tell us anything. That's why it's so funny because it's true. Well, the computer models can't or, or have a difficult time predicting the weather in 48 hours. Yeah. Exactly. Or 24 hours sometimes. How? Can computer models be reliable? I mean, you, unless you make one wrong assumption and you're off by four or five uh, orders of magnitude. Well, they have no idea every That's year right. with the seasonal flu what's going on. They don't yeah. know the strain. They don't right. know. How, they don't know. They don't know when it's going to hit. If they were, you know, if it was an exact science, we would know exactly what to do every so, time the flu hit. And is it true, Doctor Basham? There is zero. There are zero vaccines for any coronavirus. Yeah, that's right. And, that's, and, and my contention is that the reason they haven't really worked on that heavily is because 30% of the common colds are caused by coronavirus. Right, so why right. would Big Pharma want to lose all the decongestant sales, there all you go. You know, uh, the uh, paper manufacturers, all the Kleenex sales, all the Advil, all of the Tylenol sales? Just, just NyQuil. NyQuil, man. You so, don't forget the, the, what is it again, the uh, disinfectants? Mm-hmm. Isn't what the, didn't Donald Trump suggest? Maybe you should start injecting Clorox no, or something. No, he did not no. suggest that. <laughs> no. Well, that's what they claim, that, and he did. That, that's the special medicine is Clorox. That's the special medicine I yeah. got for you. A special medicine Clorox. I don't know. I, I really, really wish people would. Uh, well, first of all, I do for the first time in my life think that uh, politicians are are probably in. No, actually, celebrities are in third place, politicians in second place, but the most annoying lying scumbags on earth are the media. Yes. The, the media is disgusting right Oh, my right God, now. I know. Disgusting. The lying that there's going on, I, I just, and you know you're lying. Why do you keep lying? Yeah, and, it's possi- and it's possible that the, really the only true media that we have are in podcasts. Yeah, that's true. Now it's probably true. It, it, You're right. It's possible that at least the most balanced reporting. Now everybody has a bias, and and, uh, and but you kind of know that with the podcast. But I don't think most of the podcasts are so either paranoid left or paranoid right. No, I, don't I mean, think I'm so. sure there are some. There are some screamers, yeah, but it, that yeah. most of them are really center, you know, middle of the road and trying yep. to get uh, some sense of. Um, Compromise or some sense of uh, what are the what is the real situation going on? No, I think you're absolutely right about that. Andy, would you look up and see how much Netflix paid the Obamas? They gave they gave the Obamas this pile of money. I thought it was sixty five million. Is, is what's sticking in my head, dollars? but I could be wrong. Well, they got their first uh, their first uh, 
feature is going to be on Michelle Obama. I did see that. Oh. So they're going to they're, they're going to try to recoup some of their dough apparently. Yeah, by 65 having, million. 65 million. How is that legal? I wonder if she gets a Every time it airs, she must get a piece of it, too. Probably and this true, is probably yeah. right on the tail end of her Her book sales probably are starting to go mm. down. So it's released exactly at the right time to sell more books. If you're the president now, you are going to make, you're going to be worth, a, you're going to be a billionaire. Yep. You will yep. become a billionaire. Because you're a celebrity. Oh, it's absolutely. You're the ultimate celebrity. You know, I don't blame the Obamas for taking the money. They didn't do anything illegal to get it. I don't blame them for taking the money at all. Why wouldn't you? Somebody wants to give you $100 million, $200 million. Why wouldn't you take it? Absolutely. The Clintons did. That's for sure. Donald Trump, how many people has he screwed out of money? I mean, that's the one thing. You can support whomever. Uh, yeah, but, but don't tell all... me how wonderful they are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's true. That's true. Don't tell me how wonderful they are. No. No, there's no upside to that whole thing. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. The thing that I did notice, though, and Catherine and I talked about this last night, and again, I don't blame the Obamas at all. You give me $65 million to be on your Netflix channel, absolutely. Sounds good. $65 million. You're good to go. How far left has Netflix gone now since they've done that? Have you seen their programming oh, now? Oh, God, yeah. It's way far left now. I, I just I don't understand what I that's know. all For the about. last, like, four or five months, I've been trying to find something to watch on Netflix, it's like no. We don't even pay for Netflix anymore. No, There's I, nothing I'm, on there. I'm, yeah, it's all I'm crap. not impressed with their programming any longer. I used to be. Why don't you take care of all the people, not just the people who agree with you? Well, once again, they get all this money and they get all this, you know, it's power. And then it's mm-hmm. like, uh, everybody yeah, must hear my voice. Mm-hmm. I'm the only one that matters because now that I'm rich, I'm smarter than everybody. I guess that's, a, I guess that's what it is. But yeah, I, uh, Catherine and I were talking about it last night. I can't tell you the last time I watched Netflix because no. you're doing it. It's all, you know, oh, bad honky. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> basically, yeah. basically what it is now. It is. Yeah. I don't need yeah, that. Yeah, Hulu's programming so far is much better oh yeah hulu does a much better mm-hmm. job do you think they'll crack i think they'll crack and go one way uh, or the probably. other Eventually, or yeah. they go one way or the other yeah. although yeah. i mean if everybody's going left why not veer a little towards the middle and then you you know because if that content is already saturated why bother it's like i don't understand the whole uh business model behind so many le- mainstream media is going so far left because if, if that's the only product that's out there, then everybody's going to get weary of that. And that's right? why they're all going broke. So I mean, yeah. all the all the major media places, no one's watching them. No one takes them seriously. They have yeah. I mean, even places like the New York Times have zero clout now. They've destroyed their own reputation. Oh yeah, New York Times yeah. is where all those Washington Post, New York, all those media, those print media. Yeah, New York Times was. used to be like one of the most prestigious. Oh yeah, oh, outfits in the country, and now Indeed. it's like a, it's a joke. Yeah, I mean, if business correct. 101 is don't, you know, if you saturate, don't saturate the product, you know, people, yeah. do, people are going to want something else. If it's too much this way, then they're going to want it that way. That's just how people are. We'll take a break. Be right back. Alan Zweibel, our special guest, his book, Laugh Lines, My Life Helping Funny People Be Funnier. Alan will join us right after this, family. Tom Bernard with my buddy and CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Tell me, Michael, we've been talking about North American Banking Company for a few years now. One thing we've discussed is that the bank is locally owned and operated. Well, how does that benefit your customer? Tommy, projects and opportunities for expansion come up quickly for business owners. A locally owned and managed bank like North American Banking Company means decisions can be made just as quickly. 
We know Minnesota. We live in the communities we serve. So we have experience and firsthand knowledge for what's happening in your life where you live. That means decisions are made here. We don't ship them off or pass the buck someplace out of state. Finally, getting our customers quick answers allows them to take decisive action, and that's how business gets done. Man, Michael, you're getting good at this. Practice makes perfect. Uh, Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. 2020 never looks so good. Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. With 2020 upon us, it's time to ditch the contacts and pitch the glasses. Take it from me. It's one of the best things you can do for yourself in the new year. I've never looked back from having LASIK myself. And with Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, you can trust you're amongst the best in the business. Call 855-554-2020 or visit whitingclinic.com online to schedule your free LASIK consultation. The great people at Whiting Clinic will take fantastic care of you just like they did for me. Call 855-554-2020 or visit whitingclinic.com online to schedule your free LASIK consultation. Imagine 2020 or better in 2020. And let 2020 be your best year yet with LASIK at Whiting Clinic. LASIK results may vary. Talk to your Whiting Clinic doctor about your individual outcome potential. Little doors to kick things off now we're talking, ladies and gentlemen. The book is called Laugh Lines, My Life Helping Funny People Be Funnier. Alan Zweibel. How you doing, Alan? How you doing, Tom? How are you? Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure, ladies and gentlemen, no doubt about that. Uh, I love this opening paragraph to the descriptor. Alan Zweibel started his comedy career selling jokes for $7 a piece to the last of the Borscht Belt stand-ups, then one night... Despite bombing on stage, he caught the attention of Lauren Michaels. How did that happen, Alan? That's a great story. Well, you know what it is? I was writing to these guys in the Catskills. I was 21 years old, just out of college. And they were all like 40, 45, some of them 50. And I got a little bored writing for them because it's like writing for my parents' friends, you know, and that wasn't (laughs) my life experience. So I took all the jokes they wouldn't buy from me. And I made it into a stand-up comedy act for myself. There were two clubs in New York at the time. This is like mid-70s. Uh, one was called Catch a Rising Star. The other was called The Improvisation. And the plan, the plan was to go on stage, tell the joke. I, don't, I didn't want to be a comic. I just basically advertised the material. And oh, um, yeah. I would bomb night after night. <laughs> so, if they liked the joke, they laughed. But if they didn't like it, I would. They just saw a big Jewish person sweating. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with a nice sweaty Jew. Let me just say. No, that. no, a sweaty Jew who was gasping. For, it was horrible. <laughs> I, used to, I had become friends with Billy Crystal, who was just starting out himself. And he lived about four towns over from where I was living with my parents on Long Island. He was already married with a kid because he's, okay, more mature. Fine. All right. So he would, he would pick me up every night. He would drive me into the city. We would do our respective sets. And on the way back, we would critique each other because we would put the tape in the player and, and critique. And one night, it was about 1 o'clock in the morning. I'm having the hardest time in the w- world making these uh, six drunks from Duluth laugh, okay? I like it. <laughs> and and uh, I, I, I go to the bar, and I'm 
waiting for Billy to be done so he can drive me home. And Lorne Michaels uh, was going to every uh, comedy club at the time to look for writers and actors for this new show that um, was going to be called Saturday Night Live. That was going to premiere the following fall. Um, I, I got a meeting with him. He was so underwhelmed by my, <laughs> by my stage presence, but liked the material. I gave him uh, 1,100 jokes that I had written. Jeez. And I had a meeting with him. And I'm 24 years old at the time, and I hand him this tome with, I think it was about 1,100 jokes. He read the first joke, and then he closed the book and said, good, very good. Um, and he has since said that, you know, he, he obviously read the rest of the book and had to give it to the NBC brass for their approval. But it was based on one joke. But that's how smart he was, and is still. He look at something and see... Um, how somebody thinks to see what the sensibility is. And uh, that's how I got it. And that was the end of my stand-up career, by the way. It, it was a means to an end, and uh, it was mercifully cut short. <laughs> well, you didn't want to do it anyway, no. so it works sounds, out in the end. Sounds like you know. torture. <laughs> it was torture for me. It was torture for anybody who had to watch me. It was, it was a horrible time for everybody. <laughs> I don't know. The jokes were probably funny, though. That's all I'm saying. Well, the jokes were fine, you know, and, you know, they were good. And I gave him 1,100 uh, you know, jokes that I had written for all those comedians up there and for myself uh, when I was, you know, dabbling in stand-up. So, um, yeah, I think he liked the way uh, I thought, you know. Well, it makes total sense. I I just, reading on a, one thing I, I just got to mention very quickly, I'm not going to take a lot of time away from your interview here, but I do want to get your take on the fact that right now, Saturday Night Live, is uh, is going through a situation where, you know, so your book is coming out talking about Saturday Night Live. The the look at Dana Carvey's uh, uh, series back in 1996, bombing horribly, even though it had some of the most brilliant people in the world writing for it. There are a lot of stories right now about Saturday Night Live, how it came to be, how how, how Lauren Michaels did go out and find people like you. It's It's quite a story. It's a hell of a story. It's a wonderful story, and it's look, it's 45 years later. Yeah. It's still on the air. I love the fact that they were doing these virtual shows. It's, um, I think that the, um, the spirit of it, you know, we're still alive. We can still do stuff. Let's get people's minds off of, you know, what's going on outside in the world for a little bit. And look what, look what he did. He went out. And he knew that there was an audience out there, okay? In 1975, he knew that there was a baby boomer generation that, by and large, wasn't being spoken to comedically. So he got ten writers, all with different backgrounds. Okay, I was the big Jewish guy who wrote the jokes, okay? That's why Michael O'Donoghue founded the National Lampoon. You know, uh, everybody had a different background with a different sensibility, and he put us together... And in the very first meeting that we had, you know, look who was in that room. Aside from the different writers, there was Gilda, and there was Belushi, and there was Dan Aykroyd, and Franken, and Lorraine, you know, uh, Chevy. Uh, he said this will be a variety, a comedy variety show, but then he elaborated. He said, well, that, that meant it will be a variety of different kinds of comedy. Everybody had a different strength. Everybody had a different sensibility. And look what he did. You know what amazed me about the show at first, and, and, you know, times have changed quite a bit, I understand, it's 45 years later, 
But what I loved about that show for such a long time was the show could deal with politics, but never in a way that would... And they didn't go out of their way to not piss people off, but they knew their job was to entertain people and make people laugh. So, you know, like uh, Chevy Chase falling down his chair old Ford. I mean, that was funny. It was funny. But it wasn't too political. Uh, are you worried that, that right now the comedy's too political? In general, you know, listen, these go through a cycle. Right. When, you know, when Chevy fell down, it wasn't the political statement. It was... Uh, Oh, look at the clumsy guy who happens to be president. Right, and if, right. Yeah. And if you follow it through the years, you know, look, um, no matter what side of the aisle you sit, okay, no matter what your political leanings mm-hmm. are, uh, there are certain things that are obvious, you know. So um, as to whether or not it's too political, I think that's up. To, and that's a very good question. It's a real right. good question. you got to look at the landscape, too, Tom, because, like, every night, is Jimmy Kimmel and Jimmy Fallon right. and Trevor Noah. Right. Everybody is doing it, and everybody, by and large, is left of center. So there's a, there's a similar um, you know, bias, if you will, and I don't mean that in the negative way. No, I understand. About yeah. mindset. But, so I think that what they're doing, they have to be more clever than we ever were back then. Because look, there's competition. Mm-hmm. There was, you know, there was no cable when we were on. When I was with the show, there was no cable. There was no Showtime. There's no HBO, let alone streaming. It was ABC, NBC, CBS. It wasn't even a Fox. So I think right now they have a taller order to have their own individual kind of slant on things. So whether or not it's too political, I think that's what the, you know, it's what the buyer wants in a sense. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I think that, um, you know, one could say that, but I also think that the job that they're doing where they're just looking at the same stuff and saying, you really were supposed to drink disinfectant? <laughs> okay. Right, right, so, right. You know, so it's a matter of how you, you, you look at it. I, I think that, but it's a wonderful question it, it, it's, um, because there's so much of it. Yeah, I just I, to close it very quickly, I just... Just they have to make sure they're not taking themselves too seriously when they do it, and then it's funny. That's the only thing I would yeah, say. Yeah, I understand, but I think that it's in good spirit, too. It's also how we look at it and how we listen to it, you know. But, but I understand what you're saying. I, I, absolutely. Let me, let me sh- I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. I'm looking at a list of your friends, uh, your contemporaries that you write about. Richard Lewis, Eric Idle, Bob Saget, Mike Birbiglia. Sarah Silverman, Judd Apatow, Dave Barry, Carl Reiner. These are very, very talented people. They're, and I've, I've met most of them. Could not be nicer people. They're very nice people. Oh, God, yeah. You know, want to know something? The people you just mentioned, and, you know, Liz, my, my buddy Billy Crystal and yeah, Larry great David. Guy. Our roots and our bonds are all uh, as people, as friends. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we met each other along the way in some cases, but by and large, we met each other when we were all starting out. We started out as friends, and it just so happens that certain people are very successful right now. Yeah. And, 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 but the roots of the relationships are, are, are it's friendship. And if I look at somebody who's the older generation, whether it be Carl Reiner or Mel Brooks, or my good friend Buck Henry, who just died in yeah. December, yeah. These, these were mentors and these were people who loved and loved what they were doing. And, we, you know, Billy Crystal and I just finished shooting a movie called Here Today, 
which we wrote and Billy directed, and he stars in with Tiffany Haddish, and it will come out hopefully later this year, okay? And the fact that I started with Billy 47 years ago and had never worked with him until about 20 years ago when I uh, collaborated with him on a one-man show called 700 Sundays, which came to Minneapolis, by the way, uh, before we brought it to Broadway on our second run. We... um, and then we just did this movie. We were always aware all the time, my God, what are the odds of us still doing this together after so long? Yeah. He's still Uncle Billy to my kids, and, and, and this is family. So I think that everybody that you mentioned, in one way or another, the, their relationships are rooted in you, you know, in the human part. They are indeed. Uh, Alan, I know we have to, we have to uh, go here, but I, w- I want to point out, because of you, uh, for the rest of my life, if I'm walking down the street and I see a, a large Jewish man sweating, I'm going to go, Alan, Alan already did that bit. And then I'll just walk away. That bit's already been done by Ellen Zweibel. Yeah, so, and by the way, that goes for the gym also, whether these men are closed or not. Yeah, yeah. No, that has nothing to do with it. I'm going to tell him, you already did the bit, so knock it off. It'll yeah, be knock it off. Find your own hook. That's hilarious. <laughs> Find your own hook. Alan, could you do me a favor and just call in once a week so I can laugh? Oh, you, you bet. Let's, let's, uh, I'll be happy to do this on a weekly basis. You're you a good man. Thank you, Alan. Great talking to you, sir. Thanks a million for having me, Tom. It's Absolutely. Great. Laugh lines, my life helping funny people be funnier. Alan's white bell. <laughs> what a great guy. Oh, God, to work with Gilda Radner. She was so funny. I loved her. Anybody who starts the interview with a big, sweaty (laughs) Jew, that's my kind of guy. You know what? Because we've all seen live comedy with somebody who's just (laughs) not comfortable up there, and it's a disaster, and you feel horrible, and maybe they're the funniest person in the world, but you just don't know. It's. it's Horrible. sad. He stole. He really did. You know, he really did steal that from Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's probably true. Yeah, he did. Say, you know, <laughs> uh, we will be right back, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Massimino, the book "Spaceman: The True Story of a Young Boy's Journey to Becoming an Astronaut." This ought to be fascinating. Right back with Mike Massimino uh, next with the family. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Saber and Bryant, whatever it takes. Northern Metal Fab right off the interstate in Baldwin, Wisconsin is a custom job shop specializing in large-scale projects. Northern Metal Fab is now hiring for all positions, including welders, painters, and inspectors to provide quality craftsmanship to their customers. Northern Metal Fab is growing, and their growth is your opportunity. Northern Metal Fab offers competitive pay, excellent benefits, and more. Apply online today at nmfinc.com. That's nmfinc.com. Northern Metal Fab is the equal opportunity employer. What a great song this is. A magnificent song, ladies and gentlemen. That's all I've got to tell you. You know what I mean? Ladies and gentlemen, thank you again to Alan Zweibel. What a great guest he was. Fantastic. Kristen Bird, obviously. 
And now, the book, Spaceman, the true story of a young boy's journey to becoming an astronaut. Mike Massimino. How you doing, Mike? Good. How are you guys doing today? Extremely well. We were just laughing really hard. Alan Zweibel was just on. He's one of the great writers from Saturday Night Live. And now, oh, cool. we get to talk to someone who's been places I'll never get to go. I'm very sad about that, Mike. That's not. You never know, Tom. Don't, don't give up hope. <laughs> there's, uh, there's, there's a lot happening. You know what I really love you about know. that? You may get a chance. What they have, to, they have to do, Mike, is the next outer space movie they, they make, next astronaut movie they make, they got to have one of the guys that has a New York accent like yours. Because a guy with a New York accent, which you have, and you brought it into space, I think it's fantastic. I really I love it. Thanks. I appreciate it. Maybe, maybe someone's listening and they'll do that. Yeah, it's about time. An astronaut who completed spacewalks on two Hubble missions tells his inspiring story in this middle-grade adaptation of the best-selling adult memoir, Spaceman, an astronaut's unlikely journey to unlock the secrets of the universe. Mike, I heard very quickly uh, that Hubble, they don't know how much longer it's going to last, but they're going to launch another telescope, uh, and they're hoping that they can just be kind of paired together for a while. Do you know a lot about that? Uh, I know a little bit about it. Uh, Hubble has been up there for 30 years. We just had the uh, 30th uh, anniversary of the launch just this past past Friday. Uh, It was intended to last for 15 years, and the smart people uh, at NASA have been able to keep it going for for longer than that. Obviously, it's up there now for 30, uh, and hopefully a lot longer. But the next generation telescope I think you're talking about is probably the James Webb Space Telescope, which is going to be a a bit different. It's going to be a lot more powerful. And it's going to be much further away from our planet, so it will not be serviced by astronauts like the Hubble was. And because of that, they want to make sure it's really it's going to work. Because once they launch it, they're not going to be able to do much about it if it doesn't work. So they're they're holding it back a bit. It's been going under more testing, but once that gets up there too, that would be great. And I think just because you have uh, you add another telescope to the mix, that doesn't mean the ones that you're using are going to go away. So. Right. Right. Uh, Hubble will be used as long as it uh, as long as it's working, just like the different telescopes we have here on on Earth, and hopefully we'll get the James Webb Telescope up there shortly. That is terrific because they've mentioned them working together. Actually, the two te- two telescopes working mm-hmm. together in some ways. Yeah, uh, the the uh, James Webb Telescope is particularly effective in a certain part of the spectrum of the light spectrum, the infrared spectrum, mm-hmm. and Hubble has uh, capabilities in, throughout the spectrum. Let's say all different types of of sources it can see, but it can maybe spot something, and then uh, the the web the web telescope can hone in on it, and maybe the web telescope sees something that's interesting, and Hubble, because it's a bit different, can learn more from something that the the web telescope picked up. So, yeah, absolutely, that's the way that's the way they work it. People have their different specialties, both as astronomers and in the equipment they use, and then when they see something, what they're looking at, it's sometimes good to get a, a different opinion on it from someone who's expert in another area. So, yeah, I, I, that definitely, I think, will be happening. I think it's wonderful. If the Hubble does go dark, would they retrieve it just so people could see it? Because I think there's a lot of fascination with that. It would be kind of a shame to just have it flying around in space forever and nobody gets to actually look at it. Yeah, yeah I agree with you on that. But uh, the, the plan initially was, when they were thinking about launching the telescope, that... This is going back, you know, many years, over 30 years ago, 
when they were hoping that shuttle missions to space would be very routine, mm-hmm. and that one of the missions would be to go up and retrieve the telescope. And right. that would form two services. One is it would, would get it back to Earth so that it wouldn't re-enter the Earth and smack into anything. And also, as you said, we'd be able to learn from it, not just see it and enjoy it, but also learn that this object has been in space for a long time. What can we learn from it? Sure. But uh, what they decided to do is if they were going to go up to Hubble, that they were going to use those missions to service it and keep it going. On, on the last mission, on my second mission, which was the last mission to Hubble, we attached a docking ring to it such that when it's, life is over with, as you say, as it goes dark, uh, at some point when it stops working and it starts to re-enter our atmosphere, before that happens, we're going to send a, an unmanned, an un, nobody on board, uncrewed vehicle up to attach a motor to this docking ring that we installed, and that'll guide it back to Earth safely such that it doesn't fall down and doesn't come down in, mm. in, uh, in such a way that any pieces might might land on anybody. Mm-hmm. So That'd it's going to be a controlled entry where most of it will burn up and the bigger pieces will land in the ocean. Oh, so okay. it will really turn to Earth, but it won't be anything we can look at it. No. So, so to answer your question, nah, we're not going to be ever getting it back where we can enjoy looking at it on Earth again. Well, I do know that the vast majority of objects orbiting the Earth, man-made objects, it's so difficult to get them back down that they just put them higher up into a graveyard orbit, right? Uh, they can if they're able to. Um, and the Hubble has been, we, every time, also all orbits do degrade, and every once in a while you got to give something a that's boost. That's true. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's one way to do it, is you can just go put it in a higher orbit, it's less likely to come down. But we've got to be careful about keeping too much stuff up there, too. There's yeah. a lot of space up right. there. That's mm-hmm. why we call it space. But you know, things become obstacles as well, so... Uh, it's a it's a big issue. Space debris and and junk, or however you want to term it, uh, it's going to be a problem because as we get more and more stuff up there, it's also being able to deal with it, and it's getting a little crowded up there. And you have to, if you're going to launch something, you need to have a plan to to get it back safely. All yeah. these decommissioned satellites are. Well, not all of them, but a lot of them are just still up there floating around doing nothing. Hey, there's a business model. That's we right. could do a we could do a satellite retrieval. Satellite retrieval. Let's go. Yeah. You mentioned that uh, the, the new telescope, the Webb telescope, will not be able to be serviced, or we're not planning on being serviced by man. Yet we're planning on uh, uh, recolonizing the moon, going to Mars. What's the, what would be the problem of, of servicing this satellite? Of, uh, I'm sorry, sir. Uh, well, it's, the, yeah, so where they're putting it is very far away from our planet. So there's a couple, there's a couple of issues here. One is is that when you're going to make a uh, telescope or anything that so it's serviceable, it drives up the cost dramatically because you've got to have parts that can be removed and replaced, and mm-hmm. it just makes it a lot more difficult to, to do that. Um, it's a lot of advantages to doing that, but you need, you need a lot more money in the build of it. Um, the, the other thing, which is more the issue in this case, really, is that it's going to be so far away from our planet. It's, it's so far, it's much further away than where the Hubble is uh, and where the space station is. So it's kind of beyond something we could actually get to easily. Um, so the plan was, well, we want to build this. We want to put this where it is. Uh, and we can save a little bit of money by not, by not have, making it serviceable. And uh, we want it so far away that it's going to be really impractical for people to get out there and, and fix it. Now, having said all that, if it does get to orbit, or if it does get to where it's going, and, and we do have a way of getting it, and it's not working, and we do have a way to get there, I wouldn't be surprised if we try to do something. But there is no plan 
uh, to service it, and I'd be surprised if, uh, if we ever did any. That makes sense. Several years ago, about 200 million seven-year-old boys said, I want to be an astronaut. Mm-hmm. And then this one kid named Mike Massimino actually <laughs> did it. What a dream, Mike. Yeah, no, I get it. it was it really was, and uh, um, I, uh, you know, it's, it's something I, I wanted to do as a little kid. Never thought it would be possible. Kind of forgot about it as I was growing up, and it really wasn't until after college I decided. Well, let me let me see if this might work, and if not, I can maybe be a part of the space program as an engineer or in some other way. And uh, yeah, so yeah, I'm very very lucky. It all it all worked out pretty well. I think it's a wonderful thing now. You talk, I, I said young, because back in those days it was young boys, but now it's young boys, young girls. It's everybody. Everybody's going to space now. Uh, it's, a, it's a great, great thing, great legacy, and it's a great time right now because they're talking about getting pretty aggressive in space again, from what I hear. Yeah, we are. We're gonna, um, we have a launch coming up, uh, hopefully, the end, of, uh, the end of May with a couple of my friends going on a SpaceX vehicle to the space station. It's the first time we've launched people from the United States to the space station in, in, in almost nine years since we retired the space shuttle program. So I think that's going to be exciting. Um, I think there's a big part of the, of the space program, which is really untapped, which is going to be the commercial market, uh, entrepreneurial privatization of space, which we're starting to see happen. And, and these companies have been working on it for a long time. And I think they're ready to start launching more and more, and I think this year is going to be a big year for that. Uh, and then you mentioned, or someone mentioned, the um, the opportunities of maybe going back to the moon and settling on the moon, not just going there for a visit and coming mm-hmm. back like we did back in in 1969 and into the until 1972 with the, the missions, the Apollo missions, um, but going back there and building a, a, a habitat and a place to stay for a while. So I think that there's a lot of exciting things coming coming up. Uh, I think. A lot of it has to do with the way technology has progressed. I think a lot of it has to do with what you mentioned about the little girls now as well. I mean, technology and, and engineering and science has become a very po- – I teach – I'm an engineering professor at Columbia University, and it's become very popular uh, for, for students to study the, in the STEM fields now because it's not just nerdy, boring work. It's really exciting stuff. They can become entrepreneurs, and they can invent apps, and they can get involved with the space program or – driverless cars or artificial intelligence or a lot of stuff that young people find interesting. And the only way that all is going to work is if we open it up to as many people as possible. So I think a lot of what we're able to do is because it's not just a bunch of boys anymore, that is boys and girls and people of color and people from around the world mm-hmm. who are participating in this now. So I think we have a lot of uh, very wonderful opportunities that we're going to be some see coming up here. I think this year is going to be an exciting year. Mike Massimino, ladies and gentlemen, book is called Spaceman, the true story of a young boy's journey to becoming an astronaut. You can check him out at MikeMassimino.com. Great, great interview, Mike. Uh, and look, you know, you became an astronaut. I became a disc jockey. Way to go, Mike. Way to go. Hey, you know, uh, either, uh, hopefully you enjoy your job like I enjoyed mine, and yes. that's all that matters. And, uh, You're right. And that's, I think, the message in my book and for the young people out there that uh, you know, a, a cool job like being a disc jockey, and you're only, it's only going to happen if you try. And I'm sure you've had some obstacles overcome, and well, all of you, what, what you're doing is not an easy thing to do, and a lot of people want to do it. And that's the way it is with good jobs in the world, right? Good careers. So uh, find out what you love and stick to it is the message in the book, and I appreciate you guys having me on. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time, Mike. Have a great day, sir. All right, gang. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. 
Mike Massimino. God, what great guest. I have a I'd say. I had a question for him, but it kind of sounded dumb. What? Is there dust in space? Why? Well, because how would you keep that how would you keep those lenses clean if there was dust in space? Well, there's there's there, there uh, is particulate matter in space, not but much. it's not dust. There no. wouldn't be it's not like lint and things like that. Yeah, that it doesn't or just no smog, so you don't have to worry about and smog. I, and I don't think you have the, the, to worry about static electricity attracting that stuff. Yeah, okay. No. All right. So I just was wondering, is I, you know, because usually anything made of glass has to be cleaned constantly. I Whoa. just didn't know if it, up in space there was something that would get on the lens. Well, well what's next, Kathy? You going to drink Lysol? Way to go. <laughs> Fly up there. I'm the lens cleaner. I'm the lens cleaner astronaut. (laughs) That would be my job. You were saying something, Andy? Uh, Yeah, it looks like they've addressed that question before. Oh. It's basically there's no atmosphere, so nothing. So it just never gets dirty. Yep, basically. I like that. It's Mm -hmm. a good thing. We'll talk to you tomorrow with the family. (laughs) 